Welcome to the Global Hearted Podcast, where your heart for people around the world can deepen, and where you can be empowered to better reflect Jesus and His heart for all to know Him. I'm Jason Paulson, here with Anthony Taylor for today's discussion. Hey listeners, since this episode is going to be discussing a chapter in the Bible that you might discuss with some of your friends who do not regularly read the Bible, we're going to read the chapter before we start into the podcast so that you can be thinking about it as you listen to our discussion. Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void and darkness covered the face of the deep while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, Let there be a dome in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. So God made the dome, and separated the waters that were under the dome from the waters that were above the dome, and it was so. God called the dome sky, and there was evening, and there was morning, the second day. And God said, Let the waters under the sky be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas, And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let the earth put forth vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees of every kind on earth that bear fruit with the seed in it. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed of every kind, and trees of every kind bearing fruit with the seed in it. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the dome of the sky to separate the day from the night. Let them be for signs and for seasons, and for days and for years. Let them be lights in the dome of the sky to give light upon the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. God set them in the dome of the sky to give light upon the earth to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. There was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, Let the waters bring forth swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the dome of the sky. So God created the great sea monsters, and every living creature that moves, of every kind, with which the waters swam. And every winged bird of every kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures of every kind, cattle and creeping things, and wild animals of every kind of the earth. And it was so. And God made the wild animals of the earth of every kind, and the cattle of every kind, and everything that creeps upon the ground of every kind. And God saw that it was good. 
Then God said, Let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all of the wild animals of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God he created them. Male and female he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. God said, See, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree with its seed, with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw that everything he had made, indeed, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Well, Anthony, we. Uh, looked last episode at uh, just an overview of some of the narrative of Genesis and highlighted some of the points about the passage after we talked about how to structure this Bible study with our Muslim friends. One of the things you said earlier was don't bring notes into um, whatever study that you're doing, because that can be intimidating, but really we should just let the Spirit direct us as we um, remember what we've studied and talked to our Muslim friends about. But to be able to remember what we've studied, we have to do some, we have to do some study. And so you've done some study and uh, have some just thoughts and ideas about things that we should, as we read along this passage in Genesis 1, how we can uh, dive deeper into this narrative and understand um, some more about the context and maybe how to apply this context as we read with our Muslim friends. So what do you have to share with us as we dive deeper into this narrative? Jason, in my experience, um, people tend to view this chapter, this first creation narrative, as informational. And that means it's letting us know how the world and how human beings came into being. And what's often overlooked is that this narrative, along with the second narrative in chapter two, <clears throat> this narrative was given at a particular time in history, at a time when the world was in a deeply fallen state and relationships were broken on so many levels. Uh, people were contesting for power at every level, in the family, in the community, and in the city-state. You didn't have empires at this time, you had city-states. And <clears throat> the marginalization and the exploitation of the poor was commonplace, and injustice was rampant. And so God's purpose in giving these, this, you know, this book, this, this section of this book, his purpose was not just informational. His purpose was reformational. It was to bring reform. And, and so, in a sense, we could say his purpose was prophetic. 
It was to call the people to a higher standard of living. And so the narrative gives his people, or it gave at that time, and it gives to us, <clears throat> it gives us all an alternative vision of power, a vision shaped by God's character. And in doing this, he revealed, God revealed to us what his initial intentions were for all human beings. And he was encouraging his people to change the way they were living and to live out his intentions for creation. And to, you know, to understand just how broken that world was, it, it's really important that we get a glimpse into what that world looked like. Now, the ancient Mediterranean world was largely patriarchal, where the few with power in the family, in the community, in the city-state stood far above everyone else. Along with this elevated status, those who had the power felt that they were inherently better than those who were below them. And there were many ways within the cultures to demonstrate this elevated status. It's such as in clothing, in the architecture of their homes, in using special terms of honor for those with status, and in limiting access to those with status. Um, and in addition, being largely patriarchal societies, men had, you know, the men as males, had an elevated position and women were seen as being inherently inferior. And the elevated status of the rulers gave them the right to take the largest portion of all that was produced in their domain. Servants, slaves, and farmers were only able to retain a small percentage of what they produced. And, um, if we look into the creation myths in the ancient world, they reinforce this kind of thinking. The myths portrayed the world as coming into being through warfare and the jealousy of the gods. Human beings came into being as a byproduct of this conflict of the gods. And, and the purpose of human beings was to serve and care for and even feed the gods. The gods were unpredictable and could become angry, so people had to make sure their gods stayed happy. If the gods got angry, they had to do something to appease them. And <clears throat> people believed that also that the gods, the humans, and nature were somehow interconnected, and the boundaries between them were blurred. And, <clears throat> you know, we don't see life that way. At, at, at this time in history, but this blurring is what was so normal for them. And so that's why people could view their rulers as being human, as well as divine at the same time. Being divine didn't mean that the ruler was immortal. It just meant that the gods had endowed the ruler with a level of divinity for a period of time. You know, because that's why he's he's the ruler and he's got this special connection to the gods and they're giving him special power. And that's why people would worship the ruler, even the Roman emperor. When by the time the empires came, the Roman empire, that's why his statue was placed throughout the empire so that people could 
that that visual representation of the presence of the emperor was there and they would worship that that, that the emperor um and it didn't think that they knew the emperor was going to die but you know it's just that at this time he had been specially touched by the gods and given you know some divine power now it's into this context this ancient context that genesis 1 and 2 were written and <clears throat> these you know god is the the ultimate author behind these narratives and he wants to instruct all of us who read these the people at that time and us as well to which he wants to instruct us about god about ourselves and about the world around us and in special reference to power the narratives were to encourage each one of the readers each one of us to see how god used his power and his status and so in response you know the people who are reading it in the ancient times the the jewish people and now us the jewish people were to fulfill their calling to image god because they were created in god's image and <clears throat> and they were to image god in the way they used power and status and so therefore we who are in the 21st century as we read the same ancient text we are to image god as he in in use power and status as they come to us in the same way um but we don't you know why this is so applicable and we don't typically realize that human societies and communities use power and status in remarkably similar ways uh, therefore the prophetic nature the reformational nature of these narratives has not changed even though we hold radically different worldviews from the ancient the ancients as we unpack some of these power issues um it's since we're reading this scripture with our muslim friends um it's it, it good to hear how they express how power and status has been used in their communities as well as how they see it used here in our country um and in, you know in the communities in which they're observing as guests that's really helpful for us because we're you know they have outside you know they have outside eyes onto what they're experiencing among us and their insights their observations can be tremendously valuable for us giving us a, a fresh view of our own worlds a world that we've kind of gotten used to and don't necessarily think about yeah, and I think that's one of the important things to think through, too, is that you're not saying that the context that our Muslim friends came from is exactly the same as the biblical context, because I think people sometimes make that mistake. They think, oh, these uh, these Muslims are from these older, backward countries, and so they're used to things uh, being like they were in in the Bible. They 
their worldview is still different from that of the writers of the Bible in those ancient times, but there are a lot of similarities and crossover with those cultural views that are not the similarities and crossovers that we see from our Western perspective. And so uh, understanding those power issues doesn't mean, okay, I understand this ancient Israelite context, this ancient Near East context. So now I understand all the Muslim context. It just means because I can see how that represent or how those representations work out in the cultural framework of the biblical writers, I can apply it. I can better apply it to my own culture and to the culture that my Muslim friends have come from. Oh, exactly. <clears throat> the worldviews are so radically different. And, you know, the worldviews, you know, even in <clears throat> concept of, you know, people sometimes think that there's like one biblical worldview or there's, you know, one worldview in the U.S., there are multiple worldviews. I mean, there is overlap, but there are also distinct differences. And um, it's, it's important to highlight that, you know, there's a lot of difference here. And <clears throat> what we're, it's like the concept of the biblical worldview, you know, that people say, well, is that a biblical worldview? I sit there and I go, well, wait a second, you know, even in the, in the Bible, there's different worldviews. I mean, because it, these books were written at different periods of time in history, and so the worldviews are changing, and you can track those changes in the books. And so they're, what we're actually looking for is a biblically shaped worldview, not the biblical worldview, like it, there's just one. No, it's each and every one of these worldviews. God enjoys the diversity of worldview that's out there. He just wants each one of those different worldviews to be shaped by scripture. And so what we're really shooting for is a biblically shaped worldview, not because if there was only one biblical worldview, we'd all be the same. It would, it would eliminate all the diversity that's out there. And that's not what God wants to do. He wants to have all these different worldviews because contexts are different and he, he loves the diversity, just like flowers or multitude of flowers. Um, there's a multitude of insects. There's a multitude of birds and a multitude of animals and just dogs, the multitude of dogs that are out there. God loves diversity. So, um, you know, and human cultures are meant to be diverse. He loves this beauty. And so, and we too appreciate the diversity and the beauty of that. So, um, it's just so that we get thinking and more accurately about what we're actually trying to shoot for is um, a biblically shaped worldview as and not just this one universal worldview that's out there. Thanks for joining us on the Global Hearted Podcast. If you have more questions about how you can find ways to follow Jesus around the globe, or if you have questions you would like to hear Anthony answer, email us at anthony.taylor at globalhearted.com. Or to hear more episodes, go to globalhearted.com. And now receive a good word.
Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age.